Section 25 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 9. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 9, Section 25, Selected Excerpt from the Poem of My Cid by Charles Frog Smith. In the Cid, we have two distinct personages. Rodrigo, or Guy Diaz, Dia, son of Diego, who flourished during the last half of the 11th century, and that legendary hero of Spanish epic poems, ballads, and dramas, whom Philip II tried to have canonized. We are not left to our own conjectures as to the character and life of the historical Cid. Both Spanish and Arabic records place the main facts beyond all controversy. He was born at Bivar, a hamlet three miles north of Burgos, circa 1040 to 1050, of an ancient Castilian family claiming descent from Lane Calvo, one of the two judges who, tradition declares, was named by the Castilian people as their governor after the Leonos king had treacherously put their counts to death, circa 923. The period of the Cid coincides with the political disruption of Arabic Spain. The Caliphate of Cordova, which in the preceding century had attained its high point in power and in all the arts of civilization, had fallen. A multitude of petty Moorish states disputed with each other the heritage of the Omeyyad Caliphs. The Christian states were not slow to profit by their opportunity. Ferdinand I of Leon Castile, surnamed the Great, 1037-65, to not only extended his territory at the expense of the Moors, but also imposed tribute upon four of their more important states, Sargosa, Toledo, Baroja, and Sevilla. Valencia only escaped a similar fate through his death. The peninsula was at this time divided among a large number of mutually independent and warring states, Christian and Muslim. The sentiments of loyalty to religion and to country were universally subordinated to those of personal interest. Christians fought under Moorish banners, Moors under Christian. Humanity towards the enemy, loyalty to oaths, were not virtues in the common estimation. Between the Christian states of Leon and Castile, great jealousy ruled. Castile had come into being as a border province of the Asturian kingdom, governed by military counts. From the first, there seems to have been a spirit of resistance to the overrule of the Asturian kings, later known as kings of Leon. Finally, under its Count Fernan Gonzalez, who died 970, Castile secured its independence. But whether leading a separate political existence or united with Leon, Castile was ever jealously sensitive of any precedence claimed or exercised by its sister kingdom. Ferdinand I of Leon Castile, treating his territorial possessions as personal property, a policy repeatedly fatal to all advance in Spanish history, divided them at his death, 1005, among his five children. Sancho, the eldest, received Castile, Nehera, and Pampaluna. Alfonso, Leon and the Asturias. Garcia, Gallica, and that portion of Portugal which had been wrested from the Moors. Uraca received the city of Zamora, and Elvira, Toro. The expected occurred. Sancho made war on his brothers, compelling both to flee to Moorish territories, and wrested Toro from Elvira. Rodrigo Diaz, the Cid appears first at this period. He is the Alferez, i.e., the standard-bearer, 
or commander-in-chief under the king in Sancho's army. The brother kings, Sancho and Alfonso, had agreed to submit their dispute to a single combat, the victor to receive the territories of both. Alfonso's Leonese army conquered the Castilian, and relying upon the agreement withdrew to its tents. Rodrigo Diaz was already known as the Compriador, a title won through his having vanquished in single combat the champion of Sancho of Navarre, and signifying probably one skilled in battle, or champion. Rodrigo gave a wily counsel to the routed Castilians. The Leonese are not expecting an attack, he said. Let us return and fall upon them at unawares. The council was followed. The victors, resting in their tents, were surprised at daybreak, and only a few, Alfonso among the number, escaped with their lives. Alfonso was imprisoned at Burgos, but soon released at the entreaty of the Princess Urica, on condition of his becoming a monk. Availing himself of such liberty, he escaped from the monastery to the Moorish court of Mamon, king of Toledo. Sancho ruled thus over the entire heritage of his father, Zamora accepted, the portion of Uraca. While laying siege to that city, he was slain by a cavalier in Uraca's service, Balido Dolphus, who, sallying from the city, made good his escape, though almost overtaken by the avenging Compiador, 1072. Alfonso, the fugitive of Toledo, was now rightful heir to the throne, and however reluctant the Castilian nobles were to recognize the authority of a Leonese king, they yielded to necessity. It is asserted, but the historical evidence here is not complete, that before recognizing Alfonso's authority, the Castilian nobles required of him an oath that he had no part in his brother's murder, and that it was the Compiador who administered this oath, 1073. Whatever the facts, Alfonso will have thought it wise to conciliate the goodwill of the Castilian grandees, and especially that of their leader Rodrigo, until at least his own position became secure. To this we may attribute his giving to Rodrigo in marriage of Jimena, daughter of Diego, Count of Oviedo, and first cousin of the king. The marriage contract, bearing date 1074, is preserved at Burgos. Some years later, Rodrigo was sent to collect the tribute due Alfonso by his vassal Motamed, king of Seville. Finding the king of Granada at war with Motamed, Rodrigo requested him not to attack an ally of Alfonso. But prayers and threats were alike unavailing. It came to battle, and Rodrigo conquered. Among the prisoners were several Christians in the service of Granada, notably Garcia Odones, a scion of the royal Leonese house. Not long after, we find Rodrigo charged with having appropriated to his own use a portion of the tributes and gifts sent to Alfonso by Motamed, Garcia Odones being his chief accuser. Taking advantage of the pretext, it can have been but a pretext, of Rodrigo's attacking the Moors without first securing the royal consent, Alfonso banished him. Old wrong still rankling in the king's memory furnished probably the real motive. And now began that career as soldier of fortune, which has furnished themes to Spanish poets of high low degree, and which, transformed and idealized by tradition, has made of Rodrigo the perfect cavalier of crusading Christian Spain. He offered first, it would seem, his service and that of his followers to the Christian Count of Barcelona, and when refused by him, to the Moorish King of Saragossa. This state was one of the more important of those resulting from the distribution of the Caliphate of Cordova. The offer was accepted, and Rodrigo remained here until 1088, serving successively three generations of the Beni Hood, father, son, and grandson, warring indifferently against Christians and Moors, and through his successes rising to extraordinary distinction and power. At this time, 
1088, the attention of both Molstein, the king of Saragossa, and of his powerful captain Rodrigo, was drawn to Valencia. This city, after the fall of the Caliphate of Cordova, had been ruled for forty-four years by descendants of Almanzor, the great prime minister of the last period of the Omeyyad dynasty. Mamoun, king of Toledo, who sheltered the fugitive Alfonso, deposed the last of these Valencian kings, his son-in-law, and annexed the state to his own dominion. At Mamun's death in 1075, Valencia revolted. The governor declared himself independent and placed himself under Alfonso's protection. Ten years later, Mamun's successor, the weak Kadir, finding his position a desperate one, offered to yield up to Alfonso his own capital Toledo, on condition that the latter should place Valencia in his hands. Alfonso consented. Valencia was too weak to offer resistance, but Kadir proved equally incompetent as king and as general. Depending entirely upon his Castilian soldiery, captained by Alfar Fanez, a kinsman of Rodrigo, he grievously burdened the people in order to satisfy the demands of this auxiliary troop. But grinding taxes and extortions alike failed, and the soldiery, their wages and arrears, battened upon the country, the dregs of the Moorish population joining them. The territory was delivered at last from their robberies, rapes, and murders by the appearance of the Almoravides. This new Muslim sect had grown strong in Africa, attaining there the political supremacy, and in their weakness the Moorish kings of Spain implored his assistance in repelling the attacks of the Christian north. King Alfonso, alarmed at the appearance of these African hordes, recalled Alfar Fanez, was defeated by the Almoravides in Salaca in 1086, and could think no more of garrisoning Valencia for Kadir. The position of Kadir thus became critical, and he appealed for help both to Alfonso and to Mostain of Saragossa. Mostain sent Rodrigo, ostensibly to his assistance, but a secret agreement had been made, Arabic historians assert, between the king and his general, whereby Kadir was to be despoiled, the city fall to Mostain, the booty to Rodrigo. 1088. The expedition was a successful one, Kadir's enemies were compelled to withdraw, and Rodrigo established himself in Valencian territory. As the recognized protector of the lawful king, in reality the suzerain of Valencia, Rodrigo received a generous tribute. But he had no intention of holding to his agreement with Mostain and assisting the latter to win the city. It is clear, on the contrary, that he had already resolved to secure, when opportunity offered, the prize for himself. Meanwhile, he skillfully held off, now by force, now by ruse, all other competitors, Christian and Muslim alike, including among these King Alfonso, whose territories he wasted with fire and sword when that monarch attempted once, in Rodrigo's absence, to win Valencia for himself. At another time, we find him intriguing simultaneously with four different rivals for the control of the city, Alfonso and Mostain among the number, deceiving all with fair words. As head of an independent army, Rodrigo made now successful forays in all directions, despoiling, levying tribute, garrisoning strongholds, strengthening thus in every way his position. At last the long-awaited opportunity came. During his temporary absence, Kadir was dethroned and put to death, and the leader of the insurgents, the Qadi ibn Donhof, named president of a republic. Rodrigo returned, and appealing in turn to ruse and force, at last sat down before the city to reduce it by famine. During the last period of the siege, those who fled from the city to escape the famine were thrown to dogs or burned at slow fires. The city capitulated on favorable terms, June 15, 1094, but all the conditions of the capitulation were violated. 
The Cadi president was buried in a trench up to his armpits, surrounded with burning brands, and slowly tortured to death, several of his kinsmen and friends sharing his fate. Rodrigo was, with difficulty, restrained from throwing into the flames the Cadi's children and the women of his harem. Yet the lives and property of Ibdanov and his family had been expressly safeguarded in the capitulation. It is probably that Rodrigo's title of the Cid, or My Cid, Arabic, Cid-E, equal My Lord, was given to him at this time by his Moorish subjects. Master of Valencia, the Cid dreamed of conquering all that region of Spain still held by the Moors. An Arab heard him say, Juan Rodrigo, the last king of the Goths, has lost this peninsula. Another Rodrigo will recover it. Success crowned his arms for several years. But in 1099, the troops he had sent against the Amoribides were utterly routed, few escaping. The Cid, already enfeebled in health, died, it is said, of grief and shame. July 1099. His widow held the city for two years longer. Besieged at that time by the Amoribides, she sought help of Alfonso. He came and forced the enemy to raise the siege. But judging that it was not possible for him to defend a city so remote from his dominions, counseled its abandonment. As the Christians, escorting the body of the Cid, marched out, Valencia was fired, and only ruins awaited the Amoribides. 1102. The Cid's body was brought to San Pedro de Cardena, a monastery not far from Burgos, enthroned, it is said, beside the high altar for ten years, and thereafter buried. Jimena survived her husband until 1104. Ibn Basim, an Arabic contemporary, writing at Sevilla only ten years after the death of the Cid, after describing his cruelty and duplicity, adds, Nevertheless, that man, the scourge of his time, was one of the miracles of the Lord in his love of glory, the prudent firmness of his character, and his heroic courage. Victory always followed the banner of Rodrigo. May God curse him. He triumphed over the barbarians. He put to flight their armies and with his little band of warriors slew their numerous soldiery. The Cid, a man not of princely birth, through the exercise of virtues which his time esteemed, courage and shrewdness, had won for himself from the Moors an independent principality. Legend will have begun to color and transform his exploits already during his lifetime. Some fifty years later, he had become the favorite hero of popular songs. It is probable that these songs, cantares, were at first brief tales in rude metrical form, and that the epic poems, dating from about 1200, used them as sources. The earliest poetic monument in Castilian literature which treats of the Cid is called The Poem of My Cid. While based upon history, its material is largely legendary. The date of its composition is doubtful, probably about 1200. The poem, the beginning is lost, opens with the departure of My Cid from Bavare, and describes his Moorish campaigns, culminating with the conquest of Valencia. Two Leonese nobles, the Inventates, princes, of Carrion, besiege Alfonso to ask for them in marriage the conqueror's daughters. The Cid assents. To his king he would refuse nothing, and the marriages are celebrated in Valencia with due pomp. But the princes are arrant cowards. To escape the jibes of the Cid's companions, after securing rich wedding portions, they depart for Carrion. In the oak wood of Carpus, they pretend a desire to be left alone with their wives. Despoiling them of their outer garments, with saddle girth and spurred boot, they seek to revenge upon the Cid's daughters the dishonor to which their own base conduct subjected them while at the Cid's court. But time brings a requital. The infantates, called to account, forfeit property and honor, esteeming themselves fortunate to escape with their lives from the judicial duels. 
princes of Navarre and Aragon present themselves as suitors, and in second marriages, Donna Elvira and Donna Sola become queens of Spain. The marriages with the Infantatus of Carrion are pure invention, intended, perhaps, to defame the Leonese nobility, these nobles being princes of the blood royal. The second marriages, if we substitute Barcelona for Aragon, are historical. Of the Cid's two daughters, one married Prince Romero of Navarre, and the other Count Reynard Berenger III of Barcelona. In 1157, two of the Cid's great-grandchildren, Sancho VI of Navarre, and his sister, Dona Blanca, queen of Sancho III of Castile, sat on Spanish thrones. Through intermarriage, the blood of the Cid has passed into the Bourbon and Habsburg lines, with Eleanor of Castile into the English royal house. The poem of My Cid is probably the earliest monument of Spanish literature. It is also, in our opinion, the noblest expression, as far as the characters are concerned, for the verse halts and the description sometimes lags, of the entire medieval folk epic of Europe. Homeric in its simplicity, its characters are drawn with clearness, firmness, and concision, presenting a variety true to nature, far different from the uniformity we find in The Song of Roland. The spirit which breathes in it is of a noble, well-rounded humanity, a fearless and gentle courage, a manly and modest self-reliance, an unswerving loyalty and simple trust towards country, king, kinsmen, and friends, a child faith in God, slightly tinged with superstition, for my Cid believes in auguries, and a chaste, tender family affection, where the wife is loved and honored as wife and as mother, and the children's welfare fills the father's thoughts. The duplicity of the historical Cid has left indeed its traces. When abandoning Castile, he sends to two Jewish moneylenders of Burgos, chests filled, as he pretends, with fine gold, but in reality with sand, borrows upon this security, and so far as we are informed, never repays the loan. The princes of Carrion, his sons-in-law, are duped into thinking that they will escape from the accounting with the loss of Tizan and Colada, the swords which the Cid gave them. But a certain measure of prudent shrewdness is not out of place in dealing with men of the treacherous character of the Infantatus. And as to the Jewish moneylenders, to despoil them would scarcely have been regarded as an offense against the moral law in medieval Spain. The second poetic monument is variously named. Amanda de los Rios, a historian of Spanish literature, styles it the legend or chronicle of the youth of Rodrigo. Its date also is disputed, some authorities placing its composition earlier, some later than that of the poem. The weight of evidence seems to us in favor of the later date. It is rude and of inferior merit, though not without vigorous passages. It treats the earliest period of the Cid's life, and is, so far as we know, purely legendary. The realm of Castileon is at peace under the rule of Ferdinand, the first, when the Count Don Gomez of Gomez makes an unprovoked ascent upon the sheepfolds of Diego Linez. A challenge of battle follows. Rodrigo, only son of Diego, a lad in his thirteenth year, insists upon being one of the hundred combatants on the side of his family, and slays Don Gomez in single combat. Jimena, the daughter of Gomez, implores justice of the king. But when Ferdinand declares that there is a danger of an insurrection if Rodrigo be punished, she proposes reconciliation through marriage. Diego and his son are summoned to the court, where Rodrigo's appearance and conduct terrify all. He denies vassalship, and declares to King Ferdinand, that my father kissed your hand has foully dishonored me. Married to Jimena against his will, Jimena Diaz, not Jimena Gomez, was his historical wife, he vows never to recognize her as wife until he has won five battles with the Moors in open field. 
Ferdinand plays a very unkingly role in this poem. While his fierce vassal is absent, the king is helpless, and Rodrigo draws near only to assert anew his contempt for the royal authority by blunt refusals of Ferdinand's requests. He is always ready, however, to take up the gauntlet and defend the realm against every enemy, Christian or more. But this rude courage is coupled with devout piety, and is not insensible to pity. At the ford of the Duero, a wretched leper is encountered. All turn from him with loathing, save Rodrigo, who gives to him a brother's care. It is St. Lazarus, who, departing, blesses him. At last a formidable coalition is formed against Spain. The Emperor of Germany and the King of France, supported by the Pope and Patriarch, requires of Spain, in recognition of her feudal dependence upon the Roman Empire, a yearly tribute of fifteen noble virgins, besides silver, horses, falcons, etc., Rodrigo appears when Ferdinand is in despair, and kisses at last the royal hand in sign of vassalship. Though the enemy gather countless as the herbs of the fields, even Persia and Armenia furnishing contingents, their battle array is vain. The five kings of Spain cross the Pyrenees. Arrived before Paris, Rodrigo passes through the midst of the French army, strikes with his hand the gates of the city, and challenges the twelve French peers to combat. The allies, in alarm, implore a truce. At the council, Rodrigo, seated at the feet of his king and acting as Ferdinand's spokesman, curses the Pope when the latter offers the imperial crown of Spain. We came for that which was to be won, he declares, not for that already won. Against Rodrigo's advice, the truce is accorded to all. Here the poem is interrupted. Besides these two epic poems, we have in the earlier Spanish literature two chronicles in prose which describe the life of the Cid the general chronicle of Alfonso the Learned, and the chronicle of the Cid, the latter being drawn from the former. Both rest in part upon historical sources, in part upon legend and tradition. Two centuries and more after the poem, we meet with the romances or ballads of the Cid, for the earliest of these do not in their present form date far back of 1500. These ballads derive from all sources, but chiefly from the Cid legend, which is here treated in a lyric, sentimental, popular, and at times even vulgar tone. Guillermin de Castro, 1569-1631, chose two themes from the life of the Cid for dramatic treatment, composing a dual drama styled La Mocadetes del Cid, The Youth of the Cid. The first part is the more important. De Castro, drawing from the ballads, told again the story of the insult to Don Diego, according to the ballads, a blow in the face given by Don Gomez in a moment of passion, its revenge, the pursuit of Rodrigo by Jimena, demanding justice of King Ferdinand, and finally the reconciliation through marriage. But de Castro added love, and the conflict in the mind of Rodrigo and in that of Jimena between affection and the claims of honor. Cornille recast de Castro's first drama in his Le Cid, condensing it and giving to the verse greater dignity and nobility. The French dramatist has worked with entire independence here, and both in what he has omitted and what he has added has usually shown an unerring dramatic instinct. In certain instances, however, through ignorance of the spirit and sources of the Spanish drama, he has erred. But the invention is wholly de Castro's, and many of Cornille's most admired passages are either free translations from the Spanish, or expressions of some thought or sentiment contained in de Castro's version. In more recent times, Herder has enriched German literature with free renderings of some of the Cid ballads. Victor Hugo has drawn from the Cid theme in his La Légende de Sigels, The Legend of the Centuries, fresh inspiration for his muse. Charles Sprague Smith From 
The Poem of My Cid Leaving Burgos With tearful eyes he turned to gaze upon the wreck behind. His rifled coffers, burst in gates, all open to the wind. Nor mantle left, nor robe of fur, stripped bare his castle hall. Nor hawk nor falcon in the mew, the perches empty all. Then forth in sorrow went my Cid, and a deep sigh sighed he. Yet with a measured voice and calm, my Cid spake loftily. I thank thee, God our Father, thou that dwellest upon high. I suffer cruel wrong to-day, but of my enemy. As they came riding from Bavar, the crow was on the right. By Burgos's gate, upon the left, the crow was there in sight. My Cid, he shrugged his shoulders, and he lifted up his head. Good tidings, Alverbenez. We are banished men, he said. With sixty lances in his train, my Cid rode up the town, the burghers and their dames from all the windows looking down. And there were tears in every eye, and on each lip one word. A worthy vassal, would to God he served a worthy lord. Farewell to his wife at San Pedro de Cardena. The prayer was said, the mass was sung, they mounted to depart. My Cid a moment stayed to press Jimena to his heart. Jimena kissed his hand, as one distraught with grief was she. He looked upon his daughters, these to God I leave, said he. As when the fingernail from out the flesh is torn away, even so sharp to him and them the parting pang that day. Then to his saddle sprang my Cid, and forth his vassals led, but ever as he rode, to those behind he turned his head. Battle Scene Then cried my Cid, In charity as to the rescue, ho! With bucklers braced before their breast, With lances pointing low, With stooping crests and heads bent down Above the saddle bow, All firm of hand and high of heart They rolled upon the foe. And he that in a good hour was born, His clarion voice rings out, And clear above the clang of arms Is heard his battle shout. Among them, gentlemen, strike home For the love of charity. The champion of Vavar is his, Roy Diaz, I am he. Then bearing where Bamaru still maintains unequal fight, three hundred lances down they come, their pennons flickering white. Down go three hundred moors to earth, a man to every blow, and when they wheel, three hundred more, as charging back they go. It was a sight to see the lances rise and fall that day, the shivered shields in riven mail, to see how thick they lay. The pennons that went in snow white came out gory red, the horses riding riderless, the riders lying dead. While Moors call him Mohammed, and St. James the Christians cry, and sixty score of Moors and more in narrow compass lie. The Challenges Seen from the challenges that preceded the judicial duels. Ferrando, one of the Amphitadas, has just declared that he did right in spurning the Cid's daughters. The Cid turns to his nephew. Now is the time, Dom Peter, speak. O man that sittest mute, my daughters and thy cousin's name and fame are in dispute. To me they speak, to thee they look to answer every word. If I am left to answer now, thou canst not draw thy sword. Tongue-tied Bemarez stood, a while he strode for words in vain. But look you, when he once began, he made his meaning plain. Cid, first I have a word for you. You always are the same, and Cortez ever jibing me. Dom Peter is the name. It never was a gift of mine, and that long since you know. But have you found me fail in aught that fell to me to do? You lie, Fernando, lie in all you say upon that score. The honor was to you, not him, the Cid Campeador. 
for I know something of your worth, and somewhat I can tell. That day beneath Valencia wall, you recollect it well, you prayed the Cid to place you in the forefront of the fray. You spied a moor, and valiantly you went that moor to slay, and then you turned and fled, for his approach you would not stay. Right soon he would have taught you, t'was a sorry game to play, had I not been in battle there to take your place that day. I slew him on the first one fall, I gave his steed to you, to no man have I told the tale from that hour hitherto. Before my Cid and all his men you got yourself a name, how you in single combat slew a moor, a deed of fame, and all believed in your exploit, they wist not of your shame. You are as craven at the core, tall handsome as you stand, how dare you talk as now you talk, you tongue without a hand. Now take thou my defiance as a traitor, trothless knight, upon this plea before our king Alfonso will I fight. The daughters of my lord are wronged, their wrong is mine to right. That ye these ladies did desert, the baser are ye then, for what are they, weak women, and what are ye, strong men? On every count I deem their cause to be the holier, and I will make thee own it when we meet in battle here. Traitor thou shalt confess thyself, so help me God on high, and all that I have said to-day my sword shall verify. Thus far these two, Diego rose, and spoke as ye shall hear. Counts by our birth are we, of stain our lineage is clear, and this alliance with my Cid there was no parody. If we his daughters cast aside, no cause for shame we see, and little need we care if they, in mourning, pass their lives, enduring the reproach that clings to scorned rejected wives. In leaving them we but uphold our honor and our right, and ready to the death am I, maintaining this to fight. Here Matanantolia sprang upon his feet. False hound! Will you not silent keep that mouth where truth was never found? For you to boast, the lion scare, have you forgotten too? How through the open door you rushed across the courtyard flew? How sprawling in your terror on the wine-press beam you lay? Ay, never more, I trow, you wore the mantle of that day. There is no choice. The issue now the sword alone can try. The daughters of my Cid ye spurned. That must ye justify. On every count I here declare their cause the cause of right, and thou shalt own thy treachery the day we join in fight. He ceased and striding up the hall a Sir Gonzales passed. His cheek was flushed with wine, for he had stayed to break his fast. Ungirt his robe, and trailing low his ermine mantle hung. Rude was his bearing to the court, and reckless was his tongue. What are to do is here, my lords? Was alike ever seen? What talk is this about my Cid? Him of Bavare, I mean. To Rio Dorino let him go to take his miller's rent, and keep his mills a-going there, as once he was content. He, forsooth, made his daughters with the counts of Carrion. Upstarted Monogostias. False, foul-mouthed knave, have done. Thou glutton, want to break thy fast without a thought or prayer, whose heart is plotting mischief when thy lips are speaking fair, whose plighted word to friend or lord hath ever proved a lie, false always to thy fellow-men, falser to God on high. No share in thy good will I seek, one only boon I pray, the chance to make thee own thyself the villain that I say. Then spoke the king, Enough of words. Ye have my leave to fight, the challenged and the challengers, and God defend the right. Conclusion And from the field of honor went Don Roderick's champion three, 
Thanks be to God, the Lord of all, that gave the victory. But in the lands of Carrion it was a day of woe, and on the lords of Carrion it fell a heavy blow. He who a noble lady wrongs and casts aside, may he, meet like requital for his deeds or worse, if worse there be. But let us leave them where they lie, their meed is all men scorn. Turn we to speak of him that in a happy hour was born. Valencia the great was glad, rejoiced at heart to see, the honored champions of her lord return in victory. And Rudiaz grasped his beard. Thanks be to God, said he. Of part or lot in Carrion, now are my daughters free. Now may I give them without shame, who e'er their suitors be. And favored by the king himself, Alfonso of Leon, prosperous was the wooing of Navarre and Aragon. The bridles of Elvira and of Sol in splendor passed. Stately the former nuptials were, but statelier far the last. And he that in a good hour was born, behold how he hath sped, his daughters now to higher rank and greater honor wed. Sought by Navarre and Aragon, for queens his daughters twain, and monarchs of his blood to-day upon the thrones of Spain. And so his honor in the land grows greater day by day. Upon the feast of Pentecost from life he passed away. For him and all of us the grace of Christ let us implore. And here ye have the story of my Cid Compiador. Translation of John Ormsby End of section 25 Recording by Todd